Welcome to the Voices of Reason podcast. This is Amy Donaldson, and today we are without my my uh, partner Jason Lee. I have a guest co-host, Anne Dent. She is uh, uh, she works for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and then she's also a political consultant. Um, and um, we're joined by uh, Representative Angela Romero, who's been a state legislator for eight years, and um, very excited about this topic. I've actually reached out to Anne and Angela. I think it was the day of or the day after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, on the floor of the House of Representatives um, gave a speech where she uh, called out a, a colleague for using abusive, sexist language um, about her. Um, he, his defense was that he didn't say he didn't say it and he didn't say anything to her. Um, but he did say some other. He told her she was disgusting and and he said some other things. And I just wanted to. I thought a lot of women felt like they related to it. And as I listened to her speech, I actually got kind of emotional about it. I thought she did a phenomenal job talking about the culture that exists that allows something like this to happen um, and, and, and doesn't really call it what it is or talk about how damaging it is to the people who are receive, the, on the receiving end of it. And, um, and I just wondered, first of all, let's just start with like, what were your thoughts when you saw or read about um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez and her speech? The speech was so moving and powerful. Um, when I first heard of the incident, I have to be honest, and I was not surprised by the incident at all. I just was so um, probably relieved that it, this something like this was out in the open and it was getting um, the feedback that it was getting. Um, never happy with somebody being harassed or abused like that. But, you know, things like this that happen every day to women need to be in the light and need to be, um, people need to understand what women go through. So, um, I was really moved by her speech. And the one thing that, um, was interesting to me though, and I'm always take a little, um, I get a little offended because, um, there's always this, um, what if this was your mother? What if this was your sister? But we, I just feel like we should respect each other because we're human beings. We don't have to even take it to that next level of a mother or a sister. If we could just respect women because they're amazing and they are who they are, that, that would be great. Let me ask you a question. I feel like sometimes that question comes from the fact that they cannot relate to what it is they we are we are experiencing and so they have to like find somebody in their life and say you know is this hurtful how would you feel if this happened to you and sort of relate it through someone that they care about because i do think they're i, I don't know what the, the breakdown is but it's 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 over 80 percent male and and so i think that part of me thinks that they always relate it to my wife my mother my sister um because they don't have that experience um, you know, I could be wrong though. No. no, I think that that's a, it's a, it's a valid point. And I, I mean, I think that for maybe any of us relating it makes it a little easier to understand, but at what point do they not just understand the human psyche and treating people with respect? Yeah. With respect? Yeah. Um, Representative Romero, why don't you join us in this conversation? What were your thoughts when you, uh, heard, uh, the, heard speech? the speech? 
I, I felt it was very empowering and most women could identify with that because many of us and majority of us have experienced that. And so for me, it was empowering and it was very important that it was set on the floor. And um, it just, um, yeah, I was overcome by emotions because this happens to women all the time. And then when you throw in those intersectionalities, such as, as race and ethnicity, uh, and you see how w women are valued and how w women are set up against each other. And this was a peer-on-peer -peer, um, situation. So a lot of times people say, well, have you experienced that? And I'm like, yes, you know, a lot of, of, of the hatred I get are from people who don't like my legislation. But what was unique about this particular situation is this was her peer. This is someone who's supposed to respect her, to, who's her equal, and he was um, not treating her with that respect. Yeah, and, yeah, I, and I, I think one thing for me um, that I thought when I was listening to it, as she and she kind of, she kind of went through detail by detail what happened, what she was doing, what was said, how it was said, which I really loved. I loved it, and I, the reason I loved it was because I thought I want people to be there with her on that walk and hear those words. And I don't care what gender you are or what your ethnicity is or, or what your power situation is. To, hit, to have somebody, like you say, who is a colleague, somebody you work with. I mean, if I was in, at work and I talked like that to, a, to any of my colleagues, whether they're above, beneath, or beside me, I would not have a job today. And so I think that was really an important aspect of what she did. Um, but I think the other thing she did that was, in my opinion, so helpful for people who, for, especially for men, was she um, she talked about her parents and she talked about, um, you know, how men always say, well, I have a wife and daughter, I would never do this. And she just really addressed that, like what we've all thought, that doesn't excuse it, that doesn't automatically make you, um, indemnify you against these kinds of thoughts or behaviors. And then she, um, gave a really emotional sort of insight into even if you're not super offended or hurt by this, why it is so damaging to just your ability to do your job the same way your male colleagues do. And but, but I think what she really pointed out too is how do you value women? Here he could talk about his wife and his daughters, but still treat her that, treat her that way. So how do we value women when we put race and ethnicity in the mix when we put gender identity in the mix. And I think that's what we have to really look at is we all have biases. We all stereotype. We all have um, certain prejudice. And so what she exposed by doing this was saying, here you value a certain kind of woman. What about a woman like me? Well, and I think a woman in power, right? So you're in that situation. Anne is in that situation where you guys have you have power, and sometimes that is a threat to other people. And but you throw on race and ethnicity, and it's even. I, I, I'm sorry, there there is a definite distinction there. Yeah. How yeah. do certain men value women? Well, and I think, I think that um, Aunt, Representative Romero and I have had actually this conversation a few times and I will never forget one time her commenting to me about the emails she receives and the threats and things like that and and 
even then I thought, no. And, you know, she reports anything that seems threatening and all of that. But um, also just on the floor when, you know, what, she is a strong, powerful legislator. And in the minority caucus, she, she you know, she's a very strong voice. And that's not always looked upon um, in a positive light. And I, I think that you know, bullying, all of these things go on. And then, as she said, when you add in all of these other factors, it is so interesting to me to observe, to observe how people react um, to harassment and abuse and what actually gets time, emotional time from people and what just gets brushed off. It is so interesting to me how we react um, to these things. Interesting and frustrating. We're going to take a little break. Um, When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about why we don't value that strong, assertive quality in women like we do in men. So you're listening to the Voices of Reason podcast. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Amy Donaldson. I'm flying solo. Actually, not solo. I have a guest uh, co-host this week, uh, Ann Dent. She uh, works for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and she's also a political consultant, among many, many other things. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ann, for, for uh, filling in today. And then also Representative Angela Romero is joining us. We're having a conversation I've wanted to have, and I want to keep having, and I really, I want to, this segment I really like to dig deep and it might be painful to pe- for people to listen to or to think about but I really want us to really examine sort of what why this is happening and why it happens the way it does and why it happens um, much more uh, I think viciously and and I don't I don't know any other way to describe it to women of color um, to people like representative Ocasio-Cortez uh, I see it on the national level when I look at somebody like um, Senator Warren and, and how they treat her versus, and, and I'm not saying she gets treated well, and so don't, you don't need to email me about that, but, but I'm saying that um, the attacks are just so much more, um, I don't know, to me they're just, they're just vicious, and they're at the things that make us feel insecure anyway as women, but um, I wanted to talk first of all about um, the strong voice um, idea, and both of you are strong voices, I, which I love, but not everyone loves that <laughs> and values that. And Anne, first, would you just give me some thoughts on like, why does our society not just revere women who are out front and have opinions and are in the, in the muck all the time the way they do with men? Oh, gosh, that, that's like this age old question. And I think that there's so many layers. And the first layer is women. Women have never really been encouraged to be leaders and to be the ones driving the thought process. And so at, when they do it and in a state like Utah, um, these strong women with strong voices there is a lot of pushback and there is a lot of um, when a woman is a strong leader in her field she gets labeled with a lot of things and they're not fun things. You know, when women speak out, they become crazy. They become 
um, nosy. They become um, bossy, um, emotional, sensitive. All of these words are used for strong women in our society. And I don't know if I hear those about men almost ever. You know, you make a good point because people said, uh, or Representative Yoho said, Ted, Ted Yoho, who's the one who, who said these offensive things to Representative Ocasio-Cortez, he said, I will never apologize for my passion. And I think that was one of the things that bothered me the most about this whole thing, was him calling names and being super insulting and trying to bully her, in my opinion, and then saying, I won't apologize, and calling that passion. Representative Romero, I know you have been the, um, the, the target of other people's uh, quote-unquote passion. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I have been the, the target and means of um, people who politically disagree with me. It's passion, and it's, it's hurtful, but... And it's sad that we we're still talking about this, but I've, I've learned to cope with it and that's not fair to me. And it's not fair to other women like me, but people feel entitled to talk to us in a condescending tone. I, I can be, and, it, and it's not just men that do this. Okay. The other day I was hiking and I was off the trail and this woman came up, older woman came up to me and she goes, and I was with my white friend who was off the trail too, but she came up directly to me and she goes, honey, you're not supposed to be here. Do you understand? You're not supposed to be here. And I knew we had, it's a long story, but anyways, it was like, she talked to me in a demeaning way, but yet my friend was right next to me who, who I'd followed and she just ignored her. So it, again, it's, it goes back to treatment and it goes back to the patriarchy and, and this, this scale of how we value people. But um, all the time I, I experience this because I, I challenge the patriarchy, because I challenge sexual assault. I, I challenge people who commit acts of domestic violence. I challenge people who are trafficking people. And in majority of these situations, it's usually a man, not a woman. I'm not saying that women don't do these things. And so because of what I do and because of what I stand for, I get a lot of pushback because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And, um, but you know, I, I've I kind of taken that on. Angela, I would say that part of what bothers me about what happens with you, though, is that the pushback you get isn't in a professional, like we disagree professionally. Like you and I might have different opinions and we might, you know, sh share those with each other. It's that um, there's this assumption that um, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, and an assumption that um, you can be told what to do or that you're not, like, you're not a place. You're not supposed to be doing what you're doing. Um, you exactly. Feel that? And, and feel that? It's, or it's the other stereotype, she's a warrior. And so uh, there are these labels that are put on me from both sides. And no, I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm passionate and I'm caring just like everyone else. And I want to create change. And so um, there's these stereotypes and these images uh, put on me. I'm either sexualized or I'm criticized for my looks. And it's, it's really interesting how I get villainized by the far right. And it's something they in, enjoy doing. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like a game to them. 
And it's unfortunate that I, I'm a piece, uh, a, I'm part of their game when I'm here because I'm serious and I represent a voice of a lot of Utahns, whether they're from communities of color or not, I, I'm changing the way we view women. And I, and I won't, um, I won't back down for that. And I won't change who I am because people want me to fit in a box. I, you know, when you were talking, um, Angela, I think that one thing that really popped into my head, though, also is that it is hard when it comes from the right. But also, I think it's even harder when it comes from the left. And it seems like they're on your own team, but just not getting it and not using the words that you are saying and just not um, understanding being an accomplice or being um sometimes listening and understanding. And I know in my experience, that has been really harder for me because I expect um, from the right, I almost expect that. But then when it's people that claim to be progressive or women, women, I, I go back to shouldn't all of us women stand together and support each other? But that looks so different and it is so you know, that, that's, a, that's a pipe dream right now because we aren't all together. So it, how do we support each other? And I, and I don't think we all have to be together. And I think we shouldn't expect all women to hold hands and be sisters. And, you know, because that, that's, a, that's not a, a, an expectation I want on myself. Um, and I would never put on another woman. And, but that's the expectation that's put on us. But yet we're still participating in the patriarchy, so we kind of take each other out like that as well. And so we villainize each other as women. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, you're right. It's been more hurtful when I've spoken truth and people on my side don't like it. And I'm not necessarily talking about my colleagues, but people within my political party. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been outspoken about things and then I've been villainized and I've been... I've, you know, I've heard I don't, I don't like women. Well, just because I don't want to be somebody's best friend, just because I don't want to share my deepest, darkest, darkest secrets with someone doesn't mean I can't work with someone. And I think that's the mistake we make a lot of times as women. We all don't have to be best friends. Mm -hmm. We all don't have to have this sisterhood, but we should respect each other. Yeah. And until we really dismantle our current culture, we'll always be set up against each other. Yeah, and because I, we're and fighting I, over the crumb. Exactly. And I think you're absolutely right because we feel like there's not enough seats at the table um, and you're in that seat, then I have to take you out to get that one seat that they've allotted for women. See what I'm, and, and so my hope is that we eventually see um, the, the ability to, to build a bigger table or to change the way we, this, to look at power as, as something that is not finite. That it's something that, you know, rotates amongst us as we get, you know, something comes into my sphere of expertise versus yours, like that we can share. Because I do see men disagreeing and not getting called the names that women get called when women have a disagreement. And it's almost like we're not allowed to disagree or have different opinions from one another or um, that's what they focus on versus um, this idea that we're diverse in our ideas and our thought processes and, and in our goals. Um, we're going to take a break. We're over time just a little bit. Uh, you are listening to the Voices of Reason podcast.
Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. This is Amy Donaldson. I am without my normal partner. This this uh, week I am partnering with Ann Dent. She is uh, she works for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and she is also a political consultant. Um, we have with us today uh, Representative Angela Romero, and we're talking about some subjects that are uncomfortable that we sort of like to, you know, sweep under the rug. And uh, Representative Ocasio Cortez made us drag it all out into the light. And we're trying to go even a little deeper than she did. She addressed um, some abusive language uh, that was used against her by a male colleague. Uh, and, and I thought she did a phenomenal job. A lot of women related to it. But I love, and I made a kind of an analogy in the last segment about, you know, this idea that there's one spot at each table for a woman. And that's why we sort of take each other out or compete with one another for that, that limited uh, seat at the table. And I said, maybe we make a bigger table or do some, you know, do something so that power is not finite. You had a thought about that. Well, this year has really, really, I I didn't, hadn't thought about this analogy, really, I hadn't given it much thought, but people are always saying, let's make room at the table for people of color and marginalized and BIPOC. And I then this year, and this is not my original idea, but why don't the people who have been at the table for so long, and I'm going to say white women, at what point are white, the white women who, you know, call themselves allies and progressives and, and accomplices, when do they say, listen, I've been at this table, you've heard my voice, I'm going to step away from this table now, I'm going to stand behind, and I'm going to support in whatever way I need to support, but I'm going to allow these spots, or these spots need to be filled by women of color and trans women and marginalized individuals that don't have those spots because we're not going to get more spots. I, well, I hope that's not true. I hope we get more spots. Um, Angela, do you have a thought on that? Cause I'll respond after if you have a, well, I, I have a thought on that. And my, my thought is sometimes we, um, you know, everyone talks about bringing your folding chair and, you know, creating that space for yourself. But, I kind of follow more um, feminists and I'm looking at black and Chicana feminists where they they said, I'm not going to bring my seat to the table. I'm just going to create my own space in the margins. And that's kind of how I see my, myself. And that's kind of how I view Senator Escamilla and Representative um, Sandra Hollins and, and Representative Karen Kwan and Senator Iomoto is like, we've just decided to create our own spaces in the margins. And when uh, we start to see what happened to Mr. Floyd and kind of some stuff that happened here at a local level, we decided to form our quad caucus and we decided that we were going to be that voice up front. And it ruffled a lot of feathers, even within our own caucuses, because people were like, why are you leaving us out? And this is our point is we're tired of just standing around and waiting for people to direct us. We, we wanted to create our own direction and we wanted to create our own space. So, and, and we know that to, together we could rise up together and that didn't mean our colleagues couldn't be there to uplift us, but we were, we were not going to take direction. We were going to lead this conversation because it directly impacted our communities. I think that I think that's brilliant. And I just wanted to add in, though, that when I hear, though, that you say we have made space for us in the margins, I think I don't want you to be in the margins. I want, you know, and you are rising up and it was it's been 
awesome to watch the Quad Caucus, but it's also been very interesting to watch um, as people were uncomfortable when the Quad Caucus were asked to voice their opinions and they were in the front and they were leading. And there's there's been a lot of discomfort. And it, it's just this dynamic that um, people were not used to it. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about people of color saying, oh, we're going to be in the, we're going to put ourselves in the marginalized um, air, in the in the margins. I I just hate that. Not understanding what I'm saying um, because I'm talking straight from bell hooks. I'm talking from other women of color who talk about intersectionalities. And what we're talking about the margins is we're creating our own space. Yeah. We're creating our own systems. We're create we're changing the way our cultures are. So in a sense, we're just not following the lead. We're creating a different space for people to have a voice. And so. For me, margin is not um, a deficit. Margin is, that's where our space is, and that's where we're going to create our spaces. Yeah, and one thing I love about that idea is that you're not waiting for an invitation to the party. You're just going to set up your own party. Like, you're setting your chairs up. Chairs up. You're doing what you need to do. do, And and you're just just going to go forward forward with it. Exactly, and maybe I I should, um, you know, it's just how people perceive that margin. And so we, we embrace our otherness, and so... What we're doing is we're saying, you know, you've you've put us in these boxes and you put these in these categories. We're going to show you who we are and what we're going to do. We're going to do it our way. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a little break. Uh, When we come back, um, I want to continue on this line of thought because I have a couple of examples for you guys. And then I want to talk about coping mechanisms and how I think they kind of keep us locked in the places and spaces where – you know, the power structure would like to see us stay and we don't necessarily want to stay. Um, You're listening to the Voices of Reason podcast. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. This is Amy Donaldson. I'm without my normal... um, co-host Jason Lee. I'm joined today by Ann Dent, who works for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and she's also a political consultant. Um, we also have as our guest today, uh, Representative Angela Romero, um, who's served in the Utah legislature for the last eight years and has been involved in some, I think, really, especially for if you're a woman, um, some really, you know, life-changing, perspective-shifting uh, um legislation, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful to her for that. Um, we're talking today sort of about um, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her speech that she gave on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, um, kind of calling out a colleague, not kind of, calling out a colleague for um, sexist and um, abusive language that he used uh, against her and to her. And um, and then sort of just talking about that as, a, as women who are in... Um, you know, power in, we're in, we're in the power universe. Like I'm in the media, you both are in politics. And so we understand that there are power dynamics at play for us and we feel them. And I I just wanted to share for me, um, in the last segment, uh, Angela shared, um, that she and some of the other, uh, legislators of color have sort of decided that they're not going to wait for an invitation to the big party, the big table. They're just going to set up their 
situ you know they're going to get together and start making changes where they're at and how they and embrace their otherness i love that she said that and and i feel like when i was in sports and there were often days i would go days without seeing other women um i uh, really struggled to find my footing and it wasn't until it was actually a male colleague who pointed out that what i brought to the table was different and that the biggest mistake i would make was to become like them and that i needed to be me and um, I have thought about that often, and, and I think that being an outsider in that space actually made me better at my job and better in the way that it was helpful to the people that I, 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 I consider myself serving when I, when I do um, my job. But one thing I wanted to ask both of you, and um, Anne, I'd like your thoughts first, is um, I think if the media doesn't get, if we don't diversify, we're very white, very upper middle class. If the media doesn't get more diverse and, and have more diverse voices out there looking for stories and figuring out who to be quoting, um, I, I just see there this, I see this persisting. Even We can have all the conversations we want, but if the people making the editorial decisions don't live different experiences, I don't know how we help people understand like we never can reorder our priorities. I mean, what are your thoughts on that media piece? I love this topic. And I think that um, what I want to say is I think it's a hamster wheel of it is the media, but it also is why aren't people demanding more diversity in the media, in everything we take in, who's reporting the media, it is because people are still tuned into this very vanilla um, media stream. Whether we like it or not, that's what people want. That's what they're getting for the most part. And so that's, that's the cycle that we're in. I have to think that if more people demanded diversity and more people didn't subscribe to things and didn't um, were upset about it, then then it would change. Representative Romero, do you think the media is, I mean, I feel like it is, I mean, you've done some work, especially on like sexual assault and, and, and stalking laws. I feel like the media is, um, they overlook a lot of the um, the realities of those issues because of how we choose to cover it and because of who's making the editorial decision. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And you know, we see right now in our country a, a shift, and I hope to continue to see that shift, but I also don't want people to say, I'm anti-racist, I'm doing these things, but yet still hold the same values and still um, support the same structures that ha has created the inequality and the equity gaps that we currently have now. And so it's easy to say I'm anti-racist. It's easy to say I want to uplift people of color, in, whether it's in media, whether it's in work, whether it's in other places. But if you're not willing to share some of your privilege, it's never going to happen. And, and it's, you know, to truly get to equity, we're going to have to reevaluate our, our own individual selves and figure out how we benefit from certain privileges and how do we make sure that we're not holding someone back at, you know, at our benefit. And I, that, I, that's the hardest thing to do. I 100% agree. And I'm going to give Anne a, a shout out here because Anne is like, I have a few of these people in my life right now and they're so valuable to me. But I, I feel like I see problems. I understand uh, like a, a thimble full <laughs> of the issues, right? Like, so 
I'm, my view of things are very superficial because I don't live those experiences. And so I'll say something, and Anne and I have exchanged kind of some private messages here and there, but she's one who's made me say, like, okay, instead of just doing stories on these issues, what about um, figuring out how to let these women tell their own stories? Or, you know, how can I not just be an ally, but how do I follow their lead, right? How do I, and I honestly, at the heart of it, I, I've done a lot of soul searching for myself and thought, it comes down to, do you think you have something to learn from other people? If you say you're an anti-racist and you say you value diversity, then you want to learn from people who do not look, think, or live like you. And I, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that, Anne? Well, I think that, you know, during this pandemic, it was just so heightened. I, I was getting so frustrated at seeing articles of, um, you know, this is the COVID experience in Utah, and it would be all white. They would interview all white people, and I would, I'm sure, complain to you about, you know, the hot spots are people of color, and um, the growing numbers are, of positive testing are people of color, but they are not talking to people of color and addressing people of color and testing these groups more, and so consistently. Um, just it's felt like the media has very much stuck to the, um, you know, the vanilla, the vanilla posts or news articles of um, they've stuck to telling the stories that they know about that the, the things in their life. Right. So, like, I know what I know in my life, like I know what my neighbors experience, I, you know. And so I think that's part of the problem with not having more diversity in our ranks is that if I want to write about some of the things that you're concerned about, I have to go out and find that or, or, or search for it or ask a colleague who's, who maybe has some experience with that. And I do think that's a huge barrier. It's not that it can't be done, but it's not, it's not the easy answer. Angela is like on the front lines of it. Like you're, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? You know, it's hard because, again, people claim they want to be a more equitable society. And equity is this cool new term that everyone is using, but I don't know if they truly understand it. And I'm experiencing this now with, like I said, all that's going on in, in our state and in our country when it comes to um, police brutality, when it comes to equity. I'm getting emails from constituents that don't know my background in social justice, that don't know my work in on behalf of women and communities of color. And they're telling me that I need to do certain things, but I'm, I, and I have to bite my tongue and say, look, I've been working on this for years. Where have you been? And I'm glad you're here now. So let's work together. But before you take this stance of, of frustration with me, find out who I am, do a little bit of research and I'm not willing to educate you, but please listen to me. So I'm glad they're where I'm at, but I've been here for 20 years. And so I'm glad that they're here to join me. But again, when we're looking, when we're talking about elected officials, when we're talking about these spaces, and a lot of these emails that I'm getting that are are very um, aggressive, they're white men. And I'm like, hello, have you done? It? Just Google my name, and you'll see all the work I've done in social justice yeah. and why I'm so passionate about these issues. So again, it's easy to say you're anti-racist, but yet, how do you treat people of color? We're we're not. We're not little pieces of a, of a chessboard where you move us around where you want us. 
we're actually people on the forefront creating those changes, and maybe you should talk to us too. And maybe because maybe we, we've, we've had some protesters. Yeah, we've had some protesters, younger protesters, come up to us and tell us, "Oh, so and so told us not to talk to you, and because you're the system." And I'm like, "Okay, well, who is the so and so?" When it gets down to it, it, it's not a person of color that's telling them not to meet with us. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I think that it's, I think it's going to be very interesting also because we had this really um, hot button time where people have, um, you know, rioting and protesting and those are still going on, but we're, we're not seeing that in the news every day. We're not reading about it. And who will continue to, in this movement, in the movements and, and do the work, continue doing the work. And who will, you know, step away because it's not cool anymore. It's not the hot button topic. But people of color, not all people of color, but like Representative Romero, like she said, has been working on it for 20 years and will keep on working on it. And, you know, there are people that will continue it and live it. And then there are people that just step in and step out when it's the thing to do. Um, And I I want to point out that I really respect many of the people who are organizing right now and who are organizing protests. And it's so nice to see people execute their their rights. And and I want to I want to point that out. I may not agree with all the tactics that have been used by certain groups, but I, I respect the fact that they're saying, hey, we want change. And so where I'm at now as an elected official, I'm like, okay, you want change? How can we work together? We may not get to the same place, but how do we work together? Because there are certain laws on the books right now that many of us had no control over because we're the super minority. And so when you have a super majority and you have a super minority, um, that majority perseveres. And until people um, look at who represents them and gets out to vote, we're going to continue to see certain laws that maybe don't favor everyone in our community or maybe don't favor some of the things and changes that some of the people out there protesting are um, that they favor. And so I'm encouraging those individuals to work with some of us to create that change and to get out there and to vote. And even if it's not for us, get out there and vote and create that change so that maybe we can really look at laws that are that will impact everyone in in and move us in the right direction. Well, the direction I think is right, anyways. <laughs> well, thank you so much, both of you, for um, joining me today. We're out of time. Um, I am really grateful to be able to have this conversation. I think we need to have this conversation every day. Um, if you're a person like me who has some power and you're white and you want to be an ally or be helpful, um, I would encourage you to think about ways in which you can give up your power, give up your seat at the table share it, um, or be led by what we have in our community, amazing women, um, amazing uh, men of color as well, but but specifically these women who are just the hardest working women, and I'm so grateful that I get to know them even in a small way. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or Jason jasonl at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at ADONSports and Jason Lee one Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. 
You can check our Facebook page and you can also find and subscribe to our episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content, including Google Play, the KSL app, and iTunes. Please be sure to review our show, subscribe to our show. We'd love to get your feedback and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, please do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.